Tim Keller is a pastor, and he once said that cities have more of the image of God per square inch than any other place on earth. You know why he said that. We are made in the image of God. Cities are densely populated, ergo. (laughs) Our Advent reading this morning tells us of a psalmist who possesses giddy joy over the city, the city of Jerusalem. I was glad when they said to me, we will go to the house of the Lord. And then the psalmist said, our feet are standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. And then the psalmist said, concerning the city built as a city that is bound firmly together, And then the psalmist said, pray. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Jerusalem, city of peace. Literally, foundation of peace. Foundation of shalom. Shalom. Ah, more than just peace. Ah, completeness. In the Hebrew mind, wholeness, prosperity, peace, not a peace that is the serenity of the heart, but a peace that is a foundation upon which you can build your life. So you pray about that, the psalmist says. Pray about that kind of peace and pray for the city that it might have such peace. Pray that it might be what its name says it is. I mean, the psalmist loves the city. God's there. The city. How you feel about the city has me thinking about our cities, Champaign-Urbana. It has me thinking about the importance of prayer and involvement. It has me thinking about the importance of being good news in addition to sharing good news. When we enter space in the city, our city, do we bring peace into that space? And is there a burden in our hearts to bring our city peace? To to bring the peace of Christ into our cities. And what might that look like? What might that look like? Well, I have some pictures to share with you, church family. Yesterday, our church family served at See You at Home, the Phoenix Drop-In Center. And uh, we brought the love of Christ with us. The Phoenix Drop-In Center is a safe place for uh, people who don't have an address. And uh, while, uh, uh, while their servants from our church help decorate the, for Christmas, and, 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 and yet the primary task, the primary mission was not decoration, but building relationships with each other and a local ministry partner organization who serves the vulnerable in our city. So part of our uh, God's generosity through this church uh, extends uh, locally in places like 
see you at home, the Phoenix Drop-In Center. And so here's some highlights of the day. Uh, 40 people ages 3 to 70 help decorate and learn more about the mission of See You at Home. Uh, collision students, uh, as, uh, middle schoolers and high schoolers from our church, who had stayed up all night at a lock-in, came and joyfully helped with every step of decorating. Uh, preschool and early elementary kids served alongside parents to hang stockings and stars. And grandparents put together and lovingly decorated Christmas trees. Couples worked side-by-side to hang lights Christmas trees were assembled and set up outdoor lights were hung Uh, 40 stockings were hung on shelter beds and then filled with handwritten cards from our church family it was a day of loving the vulnerable in our city that's what love looks like a small little slice but a very significant slice of what love looks like Uh, when we bring the peace of Christ into our city. How do you feel about the city? Some romanticize the city. They they love the experience and the the energy and the options of the city. They like like the cool of the city, the the, uh, innovation, uh, the sophisticated sides of the city. Romanticize the city. Others disdain the city. They, they go to the city only if they have to, uh, and then they hold their breath until they leave. The city has too many people, it's too big, it's too proud, it's too secular, and, and there's too much of a competitive spirit or having to work with people who are not like them. Still others are indifferent to the city. They, they neither romanticize it or disdain it. They can take it or leave it. Well, our teaching today is about loving the city. It's about this question, how do we feel about the city? How does God want us to feel about the city? And yesterday's ministry, to see you at home, uh, uh, was an example of of love for our city in the name of Jesus. And there's another example that I want us to consider this morning. And that is from the book of Nehemiah, chapter 11. Huh? Of course. (laughs) Of course, there's only 13 chapters in Nehemiah. We're on chapter 11, okay? Do the math, right? I want you to meet me in Nehemiah chapter 11 because really this is, uh, and it's providential for our time in Advent, it's a um, beautiful passage of Scripture about loving the city. Now, you know, Nehemiah is a memoir of a Hebrew official for the Persian Empire, a man by the name of Nehemiah. He lived 455 years before the birth of Christ. And God gave Nehemiah a burden for Jerusalem. And when Nehemiah first saw Jerusalem, it was anything but peace. 160 years after the Babylonians had invaded and leveled Jerusalem and turned it into a scorched space, God gave Nehemiah a burden that took him from the palace of the Persian Empire to the rubble of a city that had once been so spectacular that people waited in line to get into the house of God to worship the living God. And Nehemiah 11 is how the rebuilt city of Jerusalem was repopulated. 
So in Nehemiah chapter 11, the city has new walls. Now it needs a population. And, and as we study these verses, um, I, I want us to, we're going to look closely at these verses we're going to look at some key verses that demonstrate how people love the city. Uh, but then I want us to see how this chapter fits into the larger story of God's love for the city. So we can, we're going to zoom in on this chapter to see some key verses that tell us of those who love the city. But then what I want us to do is I want us to zoom out and situate this chapter in the larger story of God's love for the city. And then thirdly, I want to talk about Jesus. Okay? God, so God's holy city, God's love for the city, and God's savior for the city. That's where we're going. And, and, and so I've titled our message... Love our city for the Savior of the city. Say that with me. Love our city for the Savior of the city. Amen. I'm going to read verses 1 through 4 of Nehemiah chapter 11 because verses 1 through 4 are the summary of the entire chapter. So you read verses 1 through 4 and you can get the gist of the entire chapter. Now the leaders of the people lived in Jerusalem, and the rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of ten to live in Jerusalem, the holy city, while nine out of ten remained in other towns. And the people blessed all the men who willingly offered to live in Jerusalem. These are the chiefs of the province who lived in Jerusalem. But in the towns of Judah, everyone lived on his property in their towns. Israel, the priests, the Levites, the temple servants, and the descendants of Solomon's servants. And in Jerusalem lived certain of the sons of Judah and of the sons of Benjamin. This is the word of the Lord. So let's talk about God's holy city in this chapter. Nehemiah chapter 11 tells how the city was repopulated by sacrificial volunteers who took the risk of love on an uncertain future. So, so the wall has been built. We read about that in Nehemiah chapters 1 through 6. And now the people of God are being rebuilt. That's really what's going on in Nehemiah chapters 7 through 13. And Israel is beginning to regather in the teaching and the praying of the word. But now the city needs residents. Uh, Israel's entire population as a nation is a little over 42,000 people which is a fraction of what the nation once was before the Babylonians came. And up till now, the only people that are living within the city of Jerusalem are, are the leaders of the city. And that's, that's good. That's leadership by example. It would be awkward for leaders to attempt to recruit residents for a city in which they themselves were unwilling to reside. So, so they're on the right track. They need more occupants. That's what they, that's what they need. If you, if you go to Nehemiah chapter 7, verse 4, Nehemiah 7, verse 4, it says, The city was wide and large, but the people within it were few, and no houses had been rebuilt. 
Now, Edwin Yamauchi is a prominent biblical scholar, and, and so when we're thinking about how large the city was, let's go back to the slide before uh, I show you the quote by Dr. Yamauchi. So, so that is an artist's rendering of Nehemiah's Jerusalem. You say, well, how big is that? that uh, now we can go to the next slide. And uh, Dr. Yamauchi, Yamauchi says that the circuit, which would have been the perimeter, the wall, would have been just under two miles. Uh, enclosing about 90 acres. So let's go back to the picture that I just showed you of the city. So you've got about 90 acres and the circuit around the wall, and, and that's an important thing to remember because uh, in the coming weeks we're going to see there's gonna, they're going to have a party and a celebration. And they're going to be actually on top of the wall. They're going to be on top of the wall marching, uh, and it's going to be a dedication and a celebration. So it's a 90 acres and about a, almost a two-mile circuit. So our church campus is 10 acres. So multiply, do the math on that. Multiply that by 10. And that's what we're talking about when we're thinking of Nehemiah's Jerusalem. So there's plenty of vacancy, plenty of vacancy. And verse 1 says there was a lottery held uh, and one out of every ten were chosen to live in Jerusalem. Do you see that there in verse 1? One out of ten, the people cast lots to live in Jerusalem. So it was a tithe. Just as in Nehemiah chapter 10, people were tithing their income to support the worship and ministry and teaching of God's people. Now the people themselves are the tithe. And so 4,200 were selected by lottery to move to Jerusalem. And verse 2 says that they, they did so willingly. They willingly offered to live in Jerusalem. Yes, put our names in the hat. And if chosen, we'll go, we'll move. Now, now, now let's just slow down here for just a minute. They're not moving into a turnkey operation. Mitch and, uh, Mitch and Joanna haven't shown up yet, okay? So all of these houses are fixer-uppers, every one of them. And there's, so there's going to be a significant investment of sweat equity, and that for an uncertain future. So, I mean, you know... A city in the ancient world was a prime target for a predatory nation. Now, do you want to risk that? You really want to uproot your family and children into an unpredictable space. Remember, it's been 160 years since Jerusalem has been this vibrant community. You want to uproot yourself from familiarity and routine for that which you don't know. I mean, many people move away from the city to the country. They want to vacate. No judgment. But many people want to do that to, to kind of alleviate themselves of the pace of the city. Well, these folks volunteered to move into it. So, so if the city returned to life, things would get busier. See? So, so no wonder verse 2 says that the people blessed all who willingly offered to live in Jerusalem. Because not, not everybody can move into Jerusalem. Not everybody's called to live in the city. But those who were 
willingly volunteered themselves. It was a sacrificial act. And they were blessed. The, the, the nation blessed them for that. Now, verses 4 through 22 summarize the residents from the three remaining tribes of Israel. In verse 4, you've got the sons of Judah. In verse 7, you've got the sons of Benjamin. Uh, in verse 10, you've got the sons of the priests and the Levites. Okay, So, um, not every Levite was a... Excuse me, let me say this right. I want to say this correctly. Let me say, let me say this and then you tell me if I'm right or not. Okay? All, so, so all of the Levites were priests, but not all the priests were Levites. Did I say that correctly? No? So all of the priests, see, I practiced this. <laughs> see, all, all of the priests were Levites. Okay? But not every Levite was a priest. Thank you so much. <laughs> Now, you know why I have no, well, the notes haven't helped me, obviously. <laughs> Never mind. Let's move on. Ch chapter 11 is a, is a chapter of, of it's, a, it's the fourth of five lists in Nehemiah. Now, what's, that says something. It, what does it say? It's, that, just, uh, that just has the aroma of community. That has the aroma of a people who have come together and also has the aroma of historicity. These are real names of real people who lived real lives in a real city that was really rebuilt. Okay, So this is not fiction at all. This is history. And as you recall, in chapter 1, we pose the question, is there room in your heart for a burden from God? And that question has worked its way through the entire book of Nehemiah. It's worked its way through Nehemiah's heart. We've seen someone who accepted God's invitation to live an inconvenienced life. Nehemiah made space in his heart. He prayed, he fasted, he waited on God. He waited on God. And then at God's timing, not his own, he traveled a thousand miles from the posh Persian palace to a scorched space. And now we see that this chapter shows that a single burden becomes a shared burden. Huh. What was once in one person's heart, listen to me, don't you ever think that you can't influence others. Nehemiah's heart has now been multiplied by 4,200, actually 42,000 which then blessed the 4,200 who went. They, they, they caught in their hearts what Nehemiah had in his heart for the city. And, and I suspect that for Nehemiah, it was lonely at first because what he had in his heart 
you know, wasn't immediately caught. We're talking it's a, at least a year. But 4,4200 cried out, Lord, here we are. We, we, we will, get this, inhabit a scorched place that you might use us to bring it to life. A scorched space. I'm thinking about the prophet Isaiah, chapter 58, verse 11. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong and you shall be like a watered garden like a spring of water whose waters do not fail notice isaiah does not say turnkey places or lush paradisal places nor south pacific island places isaiah says scorched places scorched places anybody here is anybody here living in a scorched space right now i know i know we are difficult boss stressful job prodigal child prodigal parent spouse hospital room What you have is incurable. First Christmas without them. Could Isaiah be on to something by saying that in the scorched place, the scorched place, that's where desire will be satisfied? <laughs> See, we often assume that the Lord only leads us to green pastures and still waters. <laughs> well, of course he does. I would prefer that he do that all the time for me. A peaceful place is certainly, it, and it will certainly be our final destination, to be sure, brothers and sisters. But the truth is, the truth is, the hard truth is, the tearful truth is, is that he often takes us to scorched places, fiery trials, and destructive storms. And these trials are painful and we feel them all the more during Christmas, don't we? But in them, God's Word has a promise. Because God promises to satisfy our desire within the scorched places. He shows us that perfect circumstances cannot fulfill our desires. Only He can. And He awakens joy enough to, enough to make the scorched places brim with satisfaction. He meets us in our deepest longings by removing the outward comfort so that we may drink more deeply of His ultimate comfort. And thus, we don't just survive the scorched spaces, we thrive. He leads us through the scorched places so that we have nothing else to rely upon except Him and His Word. And that's why another psalmist elsewhere in Psalm 119 verse 50 said, This is my comfort in my affliction, that your promises give me life. Perhaps the most significant surprise comes at the end of Isaiah's passage. You shall be like a watered garden. 
like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. So it's in our scorched spaces that we just we not only survive, but God turns us into a spring overflowing. And we're not only refreshed, but God allows us opportunities to refresh others. Only Jesus can do that, church. Nehemiah's burden has become a shared burden in a scorched place. And his heart moved their hearts. And they said, here we are, Lord, we are available. We accept your invitation to an inconvenienced life. And yeah, that burden went beyond Sunday morning worship. It it meant living out God's Word Monday through Saturday and having a burden for the city where God put them. It means us having a burden for the cities where God has put us. It means praying for the city to prosper. And it means going to those scorched places in the city, places where men and women and children are weak and vulnerable and serving there and doing whatever it takes. And so you see in chapter 11, you've got an assortment of residents who are dedicated to loving the city. Uh, Verse 12 speaks of brothers who did the work of the house. That's the temple. The work of preparing and executing all the ministry responsibilities, sacrifices, and worship service planning. And and then, then you've got, in verse 16, you've got Levites whose job was outside the work of the house of God or the temple. Uh, I I don't know who these Levites were, but somebody has to do the tuck pointing. Somebody has to take care of the grounds and the facilities and make sure they're groomed and well-cared. God is worthy of well-kept facilities. These burdened hearts, these burdened hearts, Nehemiah 11 calls people of valor. Verse 6, the sons of Perez, valiant. Verse 8, men of valor. Verse 14, mighty men of valor. What were their names? I don't know. It doesn't matter. They just wanted the city to prosper. Men and women. Families who wanted to see God's city thrive. Uh, Verse 34 speaks of the valley of the craftsmen. So Levites ministered to both tribes, Judah and Benjamin. So so what was going on in the city and outside the city was supporting the the well-being, the peace, the shalom of the city. So so this chapter is a vision of a city filled with peace and joy, a God-saturated city filled with residents whose economy orbits the house of God. So it's a city known for worship. And that's why in chapter 11, verse 1, and in chapter 11, verse 18, Jerusalem is designated the holy city because any who came to Jerusalem could sense the presence of God. You know, a few weeks ago, I received a note from someone in our worship services. It was such an encouraging note that the note simply said, I can feel the presence of God in this place. I praise God for that. And my prayer is, What if people could say that about our Champaign-Urbana community? Amen? When they drive into the the atmosphere of Champaign-Urbana from any direction, what's different about this place? What's different? 
What, what would it take for that to happen? Well, the answer's, in, the answer's in this room. The answer's in this book. Holy. Holy, holy means dedicated to, set apart for. Holy, holy does not mean Swiss army knife with a dozen or so different tools tucked into the casing. Holy means that the city is for one purpose. It's designated by the one true God. And what is that purpose? I'm persuaded that the purpose is for the purpose of priesthood. That we are at our best as the people of God when we take up residence in our cities for God as priests of God. And this is where we get to God's big picture for the city. Because the city is not simply about occupying real estate. It's about representing the one true God. The vision statement that God had for Israel is in Exodus 19, verse 6. God said to Israel, You shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Now what's a priest? A priest is a go-between. A priest is an ambassador. A priest is, is one who represents God to others. And your mission and my mission, our mission, are to represent the God we serve in our cities. And so what God is doing in Nehemiah chapter 11 is a taste of his mission throughout the entire Bible. Listen to me. Someone once said, it's not so much that God has a mission for his church as that God has a church for his mission. And we exist to serve God's mission. And God's mission is for him to be our God and for us to be his people. And so when he put Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden in Genesis, it was a temple garden. He ordained them as priests to represent and bear his image throughout all creation. And he would come in the cool of the evening and they would fellowship together. And God called our spiritual ancestors to project his very character, his love, his generosity, his grace throughout all of creation. And God gave them a mandate to fill the earth. And that would have inevitably meant building cities because our God is a is a city builder and the garden in Genesis 1 and 2 was intended to become an urban garden and that's what it finally becomes in Revelation 21 and 22 the garden in Genesis 1 and 2 becomes an urban garden you just read in Revelation 21 and 22 it's a spectacular beautiful new Jerusalem uh, as beautiful as a bride dressed for her husband kind of garden. It's an extraordinary city. The new Jerusalem is to bring God's compelling vision to all of creation. And even now, he desires that vision to be realized in our Champaign-Urbana communities. He wants to make his home with us. He wants to reside with us, to enjoy us. Right here, right now, his mission is to do that through us. Which means right here, right now, you are a priest of God to your children. You're a priest of God to your grandchildren. Right here, right now, when you go to the office or the classroom or the clinic, you leave an image of God behind in the minds and lives of those who are there. That's what you do. That's what we do. God wants to dwell with us, and he's using us to display his presence. He, want, he wants us to be a safe place of refuge. Did you know that the first Israelite cities 
established in the promised land were cities of refuge? Yes. It was where the accused could, could flee for safety and civil justice. God wants us to add to the gifts and capacities and talents that come together in city life. You know, because city is condensed and concentrated, all of the abilities and the talents and the intellects of residents come together and they, they cause us to, they sharpen us. They sharpen us. As iron sharpens iron, so one sharpens another. And that kind of healthy, that kind of healthy competition produces better art and better science and better manufacturing and better medicine and better education and better craftsmanship and yes, better sermons. All for the glory of God. And so as a result, the city is a place to seek God. Isn't that why people came to Jerusalem? To, to seek God, the house of God. So, so the city forces you to ask, what do I really believe? What do I really, where can truth be found? Why do I exist? See, the city has all of, the city of peace had those answers. Answers to life's deepest questions. But the bad news is, God's vision for the city has been corrupted by our sin. And our spiritual ancestors, Adam and Eve, along with Israel and ourselves, we have conspired to worship the creation instead of the creator. And we listen to the serpent instead of the sovereign God. And as a result, the pristine garden city has become a city scorched in rebellion against the Almighty. And in the Bible... In Scripture, the quintessential sin-soaked city, the city opposite of what we see in Nehemiah 11, is Genesis 11. So you can compare Nehemiah 11, and there's this vision of a city seeking God with Genesis 11. You know what's in Genesis 11? Babel. Babylon. Genesis 11:4. The residents of Babel or Babylon said, come, let us build a city and a tower. That's okay. And then these two corrupting words, for ourselves. Not for God's glory, not for the fame of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, rather for ourselves. You see, see the problem with cities is not population density, it's sin. The, the world's first skyscraper was, in essence, a temple built to the glory of human pride and, and autonomy from God. I'm the captain of my soul, the Tower of Babel said. And as a result, Babylon produces greed and racism and classism and gun violence. Babylon produces incivility in speech. Babylon produces excessive wealth, false faith, and societal pollution. And in Revelation chapters 17 and 18, Babylon is called the great mother of prostitutes. Now in Champaign-Urbana right now, there are two cities vying for control. Babylon or Jerusalem? The unholy city of man or the holy city of God? Genesis 11 or Nehemiah 11? And the city of man is defined by human-centered power. 
but the city of God is marked by shalom, completeness, wholeness, God's peace. Jerusalem, the city of peace, where the stewardship of creation, uh, uh, of God's creation, justice and compassion and righteousness lead to harmony and family building and cultural development. And God wants our Champaign-Urbana community to be a, a place of love by seeking shalom. And we do that not by escapism or by making this church a fortress or, and we neither do that by mirroring the city or aping the city. We do that as leaven, yeast, infecting the city with the Spirit of God that is in our hearts for those of us who've committed our lives to Christ. And, 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 and we grow in our skill of living the Word when we first of all know the Word. That way we can be a walking and talking Bible wherever we are. And that's why we exist as a church family. That's why we gather in this space. That's why I had a, a course this past fall on worldview. Worldview, right, right here, right now. I'm telling you, somewhere in our country, there's a brainstorming meeting going on with very sharp, very creative people working overtime to indoctrinate us in the ways of Babylon. It's happening. And what I'm telling you is that because we are meaning makers made in the image of God to do so, there's someone from Babylon trying to sell you meaning and indoctrinate you in the ways of Babylon. And I, if you will saturate yourselves with the word of God, you will know who you are and you will know who God made you to be. And, and, and so many of us here are doing the work of Nehemiah physically in our city. We're making the, we're making the city safe. We're making the city functional. We're displaying mercy and justice through, through cre creation of safe streets and meaningful jobs. You're, you're educating children and adults. You're healing people in hospitals and clinics and counseling centers. And you're helping residents obtain housing and food. It's not just a job, it's your ministry. You're not just a nurse or a physician or an electrician or a lawyer or an educator or a social worker. You're a priest. You represent the Son of God who is the Savior of the city. There it is. Love for the city. God's love for the city. Jesus Christ, the Savior of the city. Our Advent text tells of Jesus' love for Jerusalem. Over 455 years later, Jesus is weeping over Jerusalem. The city that Nehemiah rebuilt, Jesus weeps over. When Jesus was born, he did not become God. Rather, he who was God from all eternity put on flesh. And he was born to weep over Jerusalem. And he entered it. And he told them who he was. He came into the city to offer himself. And you know what happened in turn. They marched him right out the city and put him on a Roman cross. And on the cross for our sins, Christ was executed outside the city. Jesus lost the city that was in order that we might become citizens of the city that is to come. Amen. He became the scorched space for us. That we might no longer live for ourselves Babylon, but for him who loved us and gave himself for us. 
And that's why our citizenship is in the new Jerusalem. That's our primary citizenship. And that comes by grace. Through his cross-bearing death, his mighty resurrection, and his spirit-sending power, he has made us kingdom priests. And that's who we are. That's who we are. Revelation 1.5 says, To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father, to him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Church family, love the city for the Savior of the city. And may the comfort of God, may Nehemiah, Yahweh comforts, may the comfort of God through us make our community a city of peace. Jerusalem. May Nehemiah lead to Jerusalem. God be praised. Amen.